0: Thank you very much, Chip. Very helpful resources. Uh, I'll have to check those out for sure. Well, if you arrived late and you're still eating, that's fine. But if not, grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. This year in Foundations, we are looking at the priority of love in the family from 1 Corinthians 13 1 to 8. So to start out, I think I will read that. We follow along here. 1 Corinthians thirteen one to 8. says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. Hopes all things and endures all things, love never fails. So we began a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, maybe two months ago now, with verses one to three, which teaches that the prime concern with the things that we do is our motivation. Motivation is paramount. We can do all the right things, but if we do them for the wrong reasons, for us with a selfish motivation, they're worthless and meaningless. The right motivation, of course, is agape love. Self-sacrificing and unconditional love is the proper motivation for us when we um, seek to be loving to one another. Paul calls the Corinthians to let love drive their actions, their words, and their thoughts as they exercise their gifts in their church. And we can apply that to our lives and our families and let love drive our actions, our words, and our thoughts as we parent our children, as we bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And this, then Paul gives uh, a definition of what love is in, the, in verses 4 to 8. And we're going through and we're looking at each one of these, and this definition includes a lot of verbs because love is an action. It's not a feeling. And so Paul has a lot of verbs. And the first characteristic of agape love first verb is that love is patient patience means to be long suffering to remain, remain tranquil while waiting and to bear up under provocation without complaining patience in your home will make you winsome and enduring or endearing it is the key to your modeling christ in your home and as believers one of the ways that we love our families husbands one of the ways you love your wife is to be patient with her wives one of the ways that you can love your husband It is to be patient with him as we're going through life with the same goals, but we have different speeds, different things are higher on our priority list, and so be patient with one another. And the last time we gathered together, Jonathan helpfully talked us through the second characteristic in Paul's definition of love, and that was that love is kind. And to be kind means that you are warm, generous, and welcoming. And you are seeking to serve others as you put them as higher and more important than yourself. And just like patience, kindness is something that we should cultivate in our homes and in our church and in the world. A concern for others, eyes open to other people's needs and speak and act in a way that shows kindness to one another. And so that's how Paul begins to describe Christian love. Love is patient and love is kind. And now he switches gears a bit, and to help us further understand agape love, he looks at and tells us what love is not. So you guys have kids, and I'm sure you've probably started to describe something to your kids or a- answer a what-if question from your kids, and you find yourself kind of floundering as far as the definition goes and trying to explain it. And it's helpful by, to describe, as much as you can, what it is, And then you pivot to what it's not. And that kind of helps your kids. It helps me, too, kind of come into focus of what that means. So if your kid asks you, what is righteousness? You could say, well, it's being morally right and being just. And then you could say, being righteous is not having sin. You explain what it is and what it's not. If They said, what is perseverance? Well, you could say it's enduring to the end and not giving up. Okay, if they ask, what is kindness? Kindness is a little bit harder definition, so rather than defining it, you might just say it's not your cousin Mikey. I don't have a cousin Mikey, needed neither do with my kids, but just saying. You could point at somebody and say it's not that, right? Well, that's what Paul does here. He tells us what love is, it's patient and it's kind, and then he gives us eight things that love is not before switching back to what it is. And he begins explaining what love is not by saying that love is not jealous, So love and jealousy are mutually exclusive. If you're being jealous, you're not being loving. If you're a jealous person, then you're not a loving person. So turn to Proverbs 14.30 as we get started here. Proverbs 14.30. As you're turning there, MacArthur warns this. He says, one of the hardest battles a Christian must fight is against jealousy. It's not just a battle for unbelievers. One of the hardest battles a Christian must fight is against jealousy. He goes on to say, there's always someone who is a little better or is potentially a little better than you are. We all face the temptation to jealousy when someone else does something better than we do. And the first reaction of the flesh is to wish that person ill. So if you've turned to Proverbs 40, or 14, 30, it says this. It says, A tranquil heart is life to the body But passion, which is the same word for jealousy or envy, in fact, your translation might say jealousy, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. So a tranquil heart or a calm, a peaceful, a gentle heart brings life to the body. And a patient, gentle, peaceful heart is one that knows and trusts God, knows his goodness, and that puts you at peace when you're in right relationship with him. And it brings life to the body. But jealousy, it says, is rottenness to the bones. One brings life, the other corruption. Jealousy is like a cancer that will rot your bones. It will eat you from the inside out. It's like a disease that will destroy your relationships. One commentator says that the association with jealousy, with rot in the bones, well indicates the nature of jealousy. It will eat away at a person. So jealousy is a disease. So you can probably remember way back in the COVID days. Back when COVID was new and thought to be extremely deadly, and the entire world was trying to gather as much information as they could and went to extremes, did everything they could to gather information and take the necessary steps to make sure that they didn't contract this disease. I'm kind of ashamed to admit, but I once wiped down my Amazon packages when they came in. (laughs) I did. They came in, kids, stay away, you know, get back. I got my Clorox wipes and I wiped them down just to make sure that I didn't bring this disease into my house. And uh, my kids still make fun of me for that. (laughs) But I didn't want this unknown killer virus entering into my house. I'm the gatekeeper of my home. I was like, I didn't know what this was. Everybody said it was deadly. We're going to take these precautions. Right? You are the gatekeeper of your home. So if you desire to love your spouse, love your kids, model Christ in your home, then you're going to have to eradicate the disease of jealousy in your heart because love is not jealous. So if jealousy is a bone-eating virus, what exactly is it? What are the symptoms, and how do you contract it? How do you cure it? Well, let's look at four characteristics of jealousy that will help you eradicate it from your life. Four characteristics of jealousy that will help you eradicate jealousy from your life. The first is jealousy's description. What is it? What is this virus? Well, the Greek word can actually be positive or negative. It can be constructive or destructive, uh, depending on the context. The word can mean zealous, which means an intense positive interest in something. And it's okay to be passionate about something as long as it's the right thing. You should be passionate about your kids. Zealous to protect your marriage. Have a zeal for doing good things in the name of Christ. Titus 2.14 says that Christ redeemed us... from our sin to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's our word, okay? Jesus was zealous for his father's house, passionate about protecting his father's glory and his father's honor. And we should be passionate about certain things, your kids, your marriage, your deeds in Christ. You shouldn't be lukewarm about the, those things. You should be zealous. And so the word can mean zealous, but that's clearly not what Paul means here. This word is properly obviously translated that love is not jealous. And jealous means to have an intense negative feeling over another's achievements or success. And this virus has a wicked variant known as envy, which means a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities. They have something that you want. And jealousy can take two forms. One is, I want something that someone else has. They have a bigger house, and I jealously want that. They are getting praise for something that they did, and I jealously jealously want that praise for myself. Okay, so that form of jealousy is bad, but there's a worse kind. The second form that this can take is, I wish they didn't have what they do have. Jealousy leads to desiring evil on another. You'll probably re- probably remember the story from uh, First Kings chapter three about Solomon and his wisdom. right The story goes, a woman gives birth to a son who died in the night. So she secretly exchanged her dead son for the baby of a friend while the woman is sleeping and pretended to be that child's mother. Their dispute was taken before King Solomon, who ordered that the baby be cut in half, half given to each woman. And, of course, the real mother pleaded for the baby to be spared. But the wicked and jealous woman would rather have the baby killed than to have the baby go back to its true mother. She, If she couldn't have him, then no one could. And that attitude, of course, is the exact opposite of love. Love does not have negative feelings about others' achievements. So the root of jealousy is selfishness. As we've seen, it will rot you from the inside. It can lead to behavior that is very violent and it can destroy your relationships. So that's jealousy's description. Now let's look at jealousy's symptoms. What are the symptoms of this disease? How does it show itself? Well, the sin of jealousy is the sin of the heart that manifests itself in some very destructive behavior, very destructive ways. One commentator said, in its extreme, jealousy has a viciousness shared by no other sin. A viciousness shared by no other sin. And it makes sense if you look at Proverbs 27.4. You don't have to turn there, but listen. Proverbs 27.4 says, wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. I don't know if you've ever seen video, hopefully never experienced it, but footage of the destructive power that a flood has, a wall of water that comes through and wipes out everything. A flood is destructive. The Wrath wrath is fierce, anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? As destructive as a flood is, and anger is equated to that, it can't hold a candle to jealousy. Who can stand before jealousy? In James 3, James says in verse 15 and 16 that jealousy is earthly and demonic. In verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. So Satan's desire is for you to burn with envy and jealousy, and that will lead to more and more destructive behavior, destructive sin. There are many d- examples of the devastating symptoms of jealousy in Scripture. Just a few samples here. The first murder in Scripture was caused by Cain's jealousy of Abel. The jealousy, according to Acts chap- chapter 7, verse 9, the jealousy was what motivated uh, Joseph's brothers to attack him and sell him into slavery. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because of jealousy. Mark 15.10 says that the Pharisees handed Jesus over to be killed because of jealousy and envy. They were all infected with this disease, controlled by jealousy. The Sadducees were likewise infected. And as the Holy Spirit moved in Jerusalem through the apostles, doing wonderful wonders and, and signs and healings, preaching the gospel, more and more people are being saved. There's joy everywhere. And the Sadducees are jealous. Acts 5.17 5.17 says, But the high priests rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hand on the hands on the apostles, and they put them in a public jail, foolishly, openly defying a clear movement of God because they were jealous that they weren't getting any credit for it. Proverbs 6.34 says that jealousy enrages a person. Rage, anger, suspicion, and irrational accusations are all products and symptoms of this disease called jealousy. The bottom line is when you're jealous and angry, you do a lot of stupid things. So there are many symptoms that we could look at, but I want to look at two specific ones that can have negative effects. These can all obviously be negative in your family, but specifically in the family, one is suspicion. Jealousy will cause you to suspect a family member, a spouse, people in your family, of nefarious deeds when they don't exist. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18 for an example of this. This is, uh, if you want to turn there, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. This is right after David killed Goliath. Things are going well. Verse 5 says, So David went wherever Saul Saul sent him. David became Saul's kind of right-hand man, and Saul sent him around, and he prospered. Saul sent him over over the men of war. Saul promoted David, and was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Verse 6, And it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities in Israel singing and dancing, To meet King Saul with tambourines and with joy and with musical instruments. They're out there because the king's there. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousand. Praise that Saul wanted was going to David. Hmm. Saul became angry, it says in verse 8. For the saying displeased him and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed only a thousand. Now what more... Can he have but the kingdom? All of a sudden, David is conspiring against the kingdom, the kingdom, against Saul's throne. Saul, it says, looked at David with what? Suspicion from that day on. Everything David did, Saul saw as a conspiracy to take over the throne because he was jealous of David. Verse 10 and 11 rage and attempted murder soon followed. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house, all led by jealousy, motivated by jealousy, while David was playing the harp in his, in his, with his hand, as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. So David had done nothing wrong. Rather, he had only done exactly what Saul asked him to do and always even after this, always honored Saul until his death. But jealousy led Saul to anger, suspicion and rage and attempted murder against a young man who loved him and honored him. So there's a lesson here.? Okay? One of the things that love does, one of the things that love does and we'll get to this is that it believes the best in others. It hopes all things. believes the best in your spouse but jealousy will not cause you to believe the best and hope for the best, but rather it will cause you to start to believe the worst, just so to suspect your spouse, to jump at shadows where sin, and see sin where there is none. Now, obviously, if there's sin patterns in the, in the life of your spouse, you need to help them overcome that, help them kill a sin, sin of lust, for example, Help them kill that. Motivated, though, out of love and not jealousy, because jealousy will only destroy. And hope the best. Don't always accuse. Don't let jealousy lead to suspicion, because suspicion will destroy a marriage. So the next destructive symptom of jealousy is division or rivalry. If you want to turn back to 1 Corinthians, division or rivalry 1 Corinthians, but stop at chapter 3 this time. And you can put a ribbon there because we're going to return to that in a little bit. So we've all been there. The neighbor's kid is talking in sentences at 12 months. And your neighbor loves telling you about it. and She loves sending you video of her baby that's at 12 months old and is talking in sentences. Right? Every ta- chance she gets, you see this child that's 12 months and talking in sentences while your child... 12-month-old child, screams and runs headlong into the wall, (laughs) barely talking at all. Now, at those moments, jealousy is strong. It's hard to rejoice with those who are rejoicing in that moment, isn't it? You might want the playing field to be leveled a bit and only rejoice when your kid grows up and puts his hard head to work and dominates early talker on the football field, (laughs) which is perhaps a temporary... um, satisfying thing, but not very loving and ends in a rivalry and some sort of competition that this other family didn't even know. And while you're in the middle of that rivalry in your heart, you're not thinking of evangelism. You're not thinking about loving that family, but rather a division. Well, division was a major problem in the church at Corinth. Paul is dealing with jealousy and division, and division had its root in jealousy, in the hearts of these Christians at this church who wanted the big and the flashy gifts, and they didn't, if they didn't have them, they were jealous of the ones who did. So 1 Corinthians 3, 1-6 says this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as, a spir- as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and the other I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? And then what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So this church, rather than loving one another, Rather than being unified as brothers and sisters in Christ, the Corinthians' priority was on self-status and personal accolades. Look at me. They wanted their gifts and their abilities to bring them adoration. They were jealous if someone else had a bigger and better gift than they did. Rather than being unified in the Spirit with one goal, to glorify Christ, proclaim the gospel, and build one another up in the faith. Jealousy caused rivalry, competition, and division, and they splintered into these subgroups so that they could be better recognized. Well, you must guard against division and rivalry in your marriage, and so you must guard against jealousy. So ask yourself, do you desire to be the center of attention in your home? You have a group over. You know, do you want the acolytes? Do you want everybody looking at you and laughing at your jokes or whatever? What if your husband compliments someone else's cooking? What if it's like your specialty that you make and he compliments somebody else that made the same thing? How does your heart respond to that? Well, one's desire to be the center of attention can come to light in various and unexpected ways, even in our relationships with our spouse. Rob Green is helpful here. He has a great book called Tying the Knot, and he says this. He says, in our world, the focus is on who makes more money, whose job is more prestigious, and who is more gifted. In these moments and circumstances, jealousy is kindled. One spouse decides that he's sick of being in the shadows playing second fiddle. Soon he finds ways to compete against his spouse and demonstrates that his love is jealous. Love that is not jealous will celebrate the successes of another person. It will complement and support the gifts and the skills and the abilities of the other person. Love that is not jealous will find ways to encourage the development of others. And that's what we need to be doing, encouraging the development of others and not being self-centered. Well, the theme of 1 Corinthians is correction and condemnation. And the Corinthians' willingness to divide over jealousy was an overwhelming condemnation or led to an overwhelming, commendation, um, overwhelming condemnation from the Lord. So you re- need to recognize that you are not immune to this sickness. And if allowed to grow, it will devastate your marriage. Love, on the other hand, doesn't get nervous or jealous at someone else's success, but rather encourages them and is glad for them. So jealousy is a particularly nasty virus. And if left untreated, it can lead to death. So the big question, is: how do you catch it? How do you contract this, this disease? Finding out how it's contracted may help us learn how to avoid it altogether. So let's examine jealousy's contraction, which is an actual word. I looked it up. Not the pregnancy contraction, but the disease contraction. Right? How do we get this thing? Well, I got bad news for you. You are already J positive. It's already happened. You were born with this disease. You're born with it. Galatians 5 lists jealousy as a deed of the flesh, a natural ramification of being born into sin built into the DNA of fallen man. It says in Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are Im, uh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, so on and so forth, of which I forewarned you and I have forewarned you. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. So here, Paul uses two different Greek words and lists jealousy twice. Twice. Right? In these, in these deeds of the flesh. Jealousy is a deed of the flesh, it's built into your DNA as fallen man. In Romans 1 28, Paul lists the products of a depraved mind and says, Those with a depraved mind. Do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Those not in Christ have a depraved mind. They are filled with envy and filled with jealousy. And sadly, this is the default position of fallen mankind. Who is naturally selfish and sinful. In our sin, man loves self idolizes self and anybody who gets in that in the way is going to bear your wrath sadly anyone who gets the praise that you want tempts you to be jealous and desire that praise anybody that has something that you want you wish they didn't have it so jealousy's contraction is part of sin nature next jealousy is a product of immaturity product of immaturity even in christians Sadly, even after we have been redeemed, we are still tempted to be jealous. jealous ex- jealousy exists in the church among those who are truly in Christ because of immaturity. I told you to put a finger or a ribbon in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. So if you want to turn back there. 1 Corinthians 3. It's important for us to remember that as much struggle, if you read through 1 Corinthians, that this church had, and they had a lot of struggles, this church was full of sin. But they are consistently called brothers. Paul consistently wants them to understand that because they have put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, they are believers despite the fact that they're struggling with sin. The truth is that we will grow in sanctification. That's unavoidable. If you are in Christ, you will grow. But sometimes the growth can be slow. That doesn't mean that you're not in Christ. So jealousy is a part of unredeemed mankind, But unfortunately for you and me, even when we are in Christ, we still have a portion of unredeemed humanness that can still be tempted towards jealousy. So let's read again. This is verses 1 through 3. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. He couldn't give them... I don't know, the, the, some deeper doctrines. He couldn't teach them everything that they needed to know, everything he wanted to teach them because they were babies. They were on milk. There's no rebuke, right, in those two sentences? Two sentences. But there is a rebuke in the next one. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, not, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? The Corinthians were immature believers. They were not growing. And so they were still filled with jealousy and they were still filled with strife. So jealousy can remain dormant in your home, ready to rear its head again because of immaturity and because of stunted growth in your spiritual walk. Lack of prayer, lack of scripture, meditation will keep you immature suppress your immune system and make you more susceptible to contracting this cancerous sin so jealousy can be a product of immaturity even in the life of a believer so we have seen this sickness's description we've seen its symptoms and now or and now we know how it is contracted well finally let's look at how we can kill this thing for good can we kill this for good? Let's look at jealousy's antidote, and you will be pleased to know that unlike many medications that you hear about on TV, where the cure is worse than the d- than the disease with all of the side effects, one of the one of the uh, pharmaceutical ads that was playing during the World Series was some medication that was supposed to deal with hot flashes. Okay, and Beth and I were laughing because. They go through, you know, that it does its thing. It's supposed to take away hot flashes. Then it goes into all of the side effects. And one of the side effects for this medication that's supposed to deal with hot flashes was hot flashes. (laughs) Not kidding. I could come up with that, right? I could fill up a a pill with something that causes the same effect as what you're trying to cure. Okay? Well, jealousy's antidote only has good side effects. So rest easy. First and foremost, jealousy is a product of sin nature. We just talked about that. So you must be born again. You need a new nature in order to deal with this disease. First, the, antidote, the number one antidote is a new nature. Because you were born with this disease, because jealousy is a sin that enslaves, because it's a deed of the flesh and a product of a depraved mind, The first and only way to have victory over this is Christ. You must be born again. You need a new nature. You need the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you to have a new nature freed from the chains of sin and have a mind of Christ. Regeneration found only in Jesus is the vaccine that actually works. A vaccine to sinful jealousy. 1 Corinthians 5.17, a verse we're all familiar with. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. There's a change that you can see and one of them is that you no longer deal with the same sins that you dealt with in the same, with the same magnitude now that you have Christ. But you will never have victory over jealousy. You will never love with the Christ-like agape love that you are called to love your family with and those around you until you submit your life to Christ. But because jealousy... Is also a product of immaturity, and even in Christ, jealousy can still survive. The second antidote is to grow in maturity. Grow in maturity. It's really about as simple as we teach our kids. We have a, a song that we sometimes sing in the children's building: "Read your Bible, pray every day, and what what happens? And you grow, grow, grow. And you grow, grow, grow. You want me to sing it? I will, but you don't want me to, right?" Shut your Bible, forget to pray, and what happens? And you shrink, 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 right? It's about that easy. Love Jesus with all your hearts. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Pray and ask for joy. Pray and ask for joy when other people succeed. Read your Bibles and grow in knowledge, and this will cause several very important jealousy-killing patterns to develop in your life. As you read of God's faithfulness, you read of God's character and his ability and his power and his love for you, his desire for your good, you will develop certain patterns in your life. You will learn first to trust God's providence. To trust God's providence. Proverbs 40, or 14, I said 40 last time too, 1430, we said jealousy rots the bones. But before that it says, uh, the peaceful or the tranquil heart leads to life. Peace is found by knowing God is in control. Trusting his sovereign goodness. Even when things aren't going well for you, and they are going well for somebody else. Even somebody that you don't particularly care for. You trust God's providence. You know God is in control. You know that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's not going to bother you in the same way. When Paul was imprisoned in Rome, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, some of the preachers became jealous of his reputation and tried to outdo him. Right? They wanted to preach the gospel in a way that would make him look bad and ruin his reputation. If we read about this in, in Philippians one, fourteen to twenty. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just gonna read it. It says, Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Envious jealousy of what Paul was doing, and they're preaching to others with that attitude, but some also for goodwill. The former, he says, those preaching out of envy and jealousy and strife proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Okay, so what was Paul's response? Paul's response was, So what? He says in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. As those people were jealously and, and enviously trying to destroy him, he doesn't return evil for evil. He doesn't de- condone their sin, but he refuses to return evil for evil and was glad that the gospel was preached because his number one priority was the uh, glorification of God. He didn't care about the praise of men which made him immune to jealousy. He wanted God's glory, didn't care about his own. He trusted the message that was more powerful than the messenger, trusted God's providence that God would accomplish his purpose regardless of the motivation of those who were evil. And you can likewise rejoice knowing that God is accomplishing his purpose no matter the situation. Be loving and glad for others' success, which will help you put away jealousy. So the next jealousy-killing pattern is to cultivate contentment. Cultivate contentment. Jealousy is rooted in a desire for what I don't have. Contentment means that you are happy and satisfied with what you do have, realizing that everything that you have comes from God. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11-13, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having both abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's situation, a lot of times, was extremely difficult. And he had learned, it says, he learned to be content no matter what was going on. Christ is the one who, who can strengthen you towards commitment in whatever situation that you are in. The more you know Christ and study his word, the more you learn. The more you learn about God's faithfulness and his goodness, the more content you will be with what he gives you. And the more content you are, the less susceptible that you will be to this sin of envy and jealousy. So we need to cultivate contentment. Trust Christ. Last, if you want to grow in maturity and kill the jealousy in your life, express gratitude express gratitude every day when you feel like it when you don't feel like it and things are going your way when they're not when somebody has something that you want regardless express thankfulness to god for what he has done for you even if you feel like you have nothing even if you're struggling financially working really hard and there's somebody else down the street that seems to never be at work and yet is prospering you don't have to be Jealous of that because you are still rich in Christ regardless of what you have physically. Rather than giving in to jealousy, rejoice in your salvation. Pray for them that they would come to Christ. They might have a lot physically and be bankrupt spiritually. They need your prayers. So train yourself to thank and praise God when you're tempted towards jealousy. Lou Priolo gives some helpful advice on how to build thankfulness i thought this was helpful he said you may find it helpful to develop a portable thankfulness list that you can take out and review when you first realize that you've slipped into discontented or jealous thinking okay it's hard to think about what you're thankful for when you're dwelling on what you don't have okay when you when those thoughts come into your mind if you have something on your phone a list or even a piece of paper if you still write on paper take that out just look at what God has done for you. It's a huge list. Sometimes it's hard to remember to be thankful, but this might be a good place to start. So we need to be zealous in our love. We need to be passionate in our pursuit of agape love. Loving one another is not an option. It's a command and a necessary quality of a Christian, and loving a loving person is not a jealous. So trust God's providence express your gratitude daily for the blessings that you do have Be content with what God has given you pray and ask that he would help you rejoice in the successes of others Those are the things that will kill the disease of jealousy and nurture love in your life. Let's pray Lord I am so thankful that you are on your throne. You are um, sovereign. You are good. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be content. Lord, that we would express thankfulness. Lord, that we would be in your word and understand how good you are, no matter our circumstances. Lord, I hope that you would cu- hope. I ask that you would help us cultivate those things in our heart, so that we can love our families well. That we can. Love those around us and not be tempted to be jealous. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.